0: None of us um, have bragging rights when it comes to being in relationship with Jesus. It's all about what he's done, all about God's grace, wonderfully expressed in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you who've got Bibles, I'm going to be skipping through a bit of Romans, so I commend grabbing a Bible, it should be on a, a seat next to you if you'd like to, and turn uh, to start off with, to page 1131, page 1131. Just a quick summary, we've skipped a few bits in Romans, so um, very inadequately I'm going to fill in a few gaps and do a few reminders. So, Romans 3, uh, the section 21 to 31, verse 23 says, "...all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and put into right relationship with God by grace, only through faith in Jesus." So no no faith in Jesus, no relationship with God, no meaningful relationship with God, no saving relationship with God, no confession of sin, no forgiveness of our sins. In Romans chapter 4, we read about Abraham, the pioneer of our faith, who was justified Declared right with God because of his faith. It's not because of anything that he did. He wasn't a particularly good man. He may have been, but that doesn't matter. But because, verse 3, he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. His obedience to God in daily living flowed out of this relationship with his maker. Then Moses introduced the law, we don't read much about that in Romans, but sadly Israel's obedience to the law became more about religious observance than a faith-filled relationship with the living God. The problem of sin continued to plague humanity. Religious observance proved to be more of a sticking plaster than the much Needed inner transformation. Sin, I think, is more like a virus than a surface cut or scratch. Although, in practice, uh, metaphorically speaking, sin can cause many cuts and scratches and bruises and gaping wounds and much worse. In Jesus, God has the perfect answer, Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10. We died to our sins through Christ's death and are eternally alive with Christ through his resurrection. In Romans five twelve to 18, there's a contrast between Adam and Jesus. Sin that leads to death came to all humanity through Adam. But that's not the end of the story. The abundance of God's goodness and blessing, the gift of grace, of righteousness and eternal life comes to us through faith in the crucified, resurrected Jesus. Page 1132, Romans 5, 20 and 21, seems to be saying that the law gave a measuring rod to expose sin, and the more sin it exposes, the more grace that's required I just um is anyone um, into baking around here and got the old scales I'm not into baking not the electronic ones do you remember the old ones that sort of you put your stuff on one side and you put this heavy weight on the other side do we think god's wanting us to pile it on on one side so that we can, so he can pile more on the other side? Do you think that's the, what God's talking about through this passage? I don't think so. There's a big question that we need to answer about these things. Now, I'm going to just turn to my notes here a few for a few moments because when I walked up here I deleted a whole section (laughs) of my sermon I was just wondering a little bit later on in the passage it talks about us being instruments of God's grace and uh, mercy Romans 6 13, it talks a little bit about mastering. And um, and I was going to borrow Stephen's guitar for a few moments. Does anyone play the guitar around here? Probably not. Does some of you play the guitar? Does any of you play the guitar? Stephen, are they allowed to play your guitar? He's gone out. He's taken it out with him. What's that instrument there? Is it a cello? I don't think we're going to get anyone to play this. Would you trust anyone in this congregation to play your cello? Under supervision. I'm just wondering when it comes to our lives, what we let have mastery over us. If we're instruments of God, and supposed to be instruments of His Holy Spirit, why would we let ourselves be maybe put into the hands of those that don't know how to play the instrument very well, or give in, if you like, to sort of sinful desires to play the instrument in the way that God has never intended? I read from Romans 6.13, Don't offer parts of your body as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Sin should not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. I think the big question, the challenge of the scales... And the challenge of this idea of being instruments and who's master over you and whether sin's master over you is a profound question that's answered at the begin, beginning of Romans 1.6. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sing- sinning so grace can increase? Now, we, ex- we uh, talked about this in morning prayer. Um, We had a little bit of a conversation about it, and we came up with a very profound answer that is one word and has two letters. Can anyone tell me what that might be? No. N-O, no. We shouldn't, verse 6, by no means. We die to sin so that we can't deliberately go on living in a sinful way. I've um, done a little bit of um, research. There's a few medics in the congregation here, but I understand those of you that uh, know someone who is pregnant and had a a baby, there's all sorts of research that suggests that what we eat and what we drink affects the baby. That's right, isn't it? And um, if we um, have excesses in certain areas like alcohol, I think it can create some sort of alcohol syndrome for the baby. It's the same with anxiety and higher levels of anxiety. I think a mother can pass these on to a child as well. I just want to sort of reverse that illustration. We're people part of the body of Christ who are covered by God's grace. We're forgiven. We're part of his family. We're inextricably linked with him and with the body of Christ, the church. If we go on sinning, it does have an impact which is more than cuts and bruises because we're called to be Jesus' face, his mouthpiece, his hands and his feet to the world. So if we're not living our lives in accordance with his will, it does have an impact not just on us, but on everyone else around us. Romans 6:14 sin must not be sovereign otherwise you'll obey its desires. Romans 6:11 what does it mean then? and this is a big question to be dead to sin but alive in God in Jesus Christ one of the profound mysteries and benefits of the Christian faith is that we are and can be in a close relationship with a holy God. Jesus' death on the cross is the only perfect atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Our confession of faith in Jesus and confessions of sin cleanse us and free us from our sins, deals with anything that has or might get in the way of our relationship with God. This is grace, God's unmerited favour to us. It's a gift freely given and undeserved. When asked for and received, we are forgiven. Our sins, past, present and future are not held against us. Psalm 136 verse 3 declares, Blessed are those who always do what's right And Tim Keller, in a reflection on this psalm, says, The gospel of grace must never, ever be taken as an even temporary license not to do right. Because of God's wonderful patience and mercy, we're always obliged to do right. May we be so captivated by God's amazing grace that we live our lives to glorify him and cooperate with God and his purposes and do the good works that he's called us to do so that he continues the good work that he's promised will go on to completion. So back to Romans 6.1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No. By no means. We are those who've died to sin. How can we live to it any longer? Surely no true follower of Jesus would think in those terms. Sin damages our relationship with God and neighbour, makes a mockery of God's ongoing work in us. Yet all of us, to some extent, do go on sinning with well-grooved and sinful patterns of thinking and behaviour. 1 colossians 10:12 says so if you think you're standing firm be careful that you don't fall no temptation is overtaken you except that which is common to human beings and god is faithful he'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The very good news is that God the Holy Spirit teaches us what is right, convicts us of what is wrong, sustains us when we struggle, guides us when we're attentive, assures us of God's love, gives us life, and sets us free from the power of sin and death. Spiritually speaking, Sin has life and death implications. Death, exemplified in the cross of Jesus, is the most powerful of Christian imagery. Death and dying is a very delicate subject and needs to be handled with wisdom and love. In some company, but not all, death is still a bit of a taboo. Although we know that the avoidance of the subject and I suppose neglecting our needs, being in denial, can be unhealthy and comes back to get us in a few years' time if we don't attend to it. And it's an ongoing process, so there's not quick fixes for some of this. God knows us and loves us perfectly. We're invited to acknowledge and give God our losses and our sadnesses, our hopes and our dreams. In fact, as Christians, we're invited in faith to trust God with absolutely everything, past, present and future. I speak as someone who, as a very young child, I think I was about five We're in Trinidad. I don't know if I've said this before, but I witnessed someone taking out a dead body of a relative from a, um, a house over from the school. We weren't protected from that sort of thing. But I remember having nightmares about that for years and years after. And I was only actually sort of healed or delivered from it when I came to an adult faith in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Images and indeed the reality of death and dying, crucifixion and resurrection, are at the heart of the gospel. In a large Christian community like this, there's all sorts of complexity and some of us will be having, um, I suppose, really difficult, sad moments and others of us will be on the mountaintop with resurrection moments. The passage strongly reminds us When it comes to sin, to put it to death, to hide it in God. Along with all that's good as well, we hide the whole thing in God so that we can be made eternally alive in God through Jesus Christ. The central imagery and truth of the gospel, I think, is perfectly illustrated in baptism. We've just moved down from West Yorkshire Ilkley, but near there, uh, there's a place called Murphill where they do um, training of vicars, but there's also a monastic community there, the community of the resurrection. It's not really my thing, but I managed to, be, uh, we did go over there and have a little bit of visit, and uh, I think it's fascinating observing uh, worship spaces and buildings and what they tell you about what's important about that community. So look around here and tell me what you think imp- what's important about Holy Trinity Claygate. You go to Murfield and in the central worship area, there's, um, there's right at the back, there's this font that you have to step up into and you disappear into and you step out the other side. And for me, it speaks of being fully Immersed in God and coming out the other side as a new person. You leave all the sins behind. You know all about the theology of baptism, but really, really powerful. Wasn't expecting that at this place at all. Then I go to the front and there's this like block of stone. It's like a big cube. That's interesting simplicity. I sort of get that. But I went round the other side and the other side of the stone, where in front where the, the monk or the priest would sort of stand, it's carved away like a tomb. Well, I thought I'll have a little look in there. And you know what? It was empty. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. With that in mind, let's read sections, large sections of Romans 6. Romans 6.3. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's like a covenant. God doesn't break these covenants. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We are redeemed. Verse 5, if you've been united with him in his death, in a death like this... He will certainly also, we will certainly also be united with Him in the resurrection, in in a resurrection like His. Our sins die with Christ so that, with certainty, we can be made fully alive in Him forever. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God, and we live in him. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, have mastery over you, so that you obey its evil desires. Quite a lot to take in there, but I think we get the point, don't we? In Romans, there's quite a lot of images Another image images of slavery. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. 6.22, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit is that we take on God's holiness and share in his eternal life. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Christians, we draw deep assurance from passages like this. 6.18, You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Imagine just for a moment that you've been found guilty of a crime. It didn't have to be a very big crime in the Old Testament, just any crime that fell short of the law. And I think the, um, the judgment was that you needed to die. Imagine that you have been found guilty of something, been imprisoned by, uh, over it as well, and then quite miraculously you were pardoned and set free. I think they're allowed to do that sort of thing in the States from time to time. Let's hope they use that judgment wisely when it comes to people in high office. Such joy if we are forgiven uh, from things that we don't deserve to be forgiven from. But we're so used to living in the prison mindset, under the prison regime, that uh, we're sometimes when we're set free, we're slow to adjust to our newfound freedom. Maybe immediately when we're forgiven, quite a few things change. Uh, but other forms of behavior um, are so well grooved that it takes us quite a lot of time to change them. Isn't it a bit like that for all of us? as Christians, to live as free, forgiven, beloved children of God, under God's righteous law of love. But we do need to retrain, be transformed. We get that in a few few weeks' time, Romans 12, by the renewing of our minds, and to live in ways that prepare for Jesus' return. There's all sorts of ways that we do This renewing, and God does the renewing, meeting together for worship, fellowship groups, prayers, being accountable to one another, etc. etc. A question What is it that we're struggling with this morning? A besetting hurt, a besetting fear, a besetting sin, a besetting loss of hope. In Christ, we have the power to overcome it, be transformed, and take steps of faith, sometimes faltering forward with Jesus. We need to share these things first and foremost with God. He knows them anyway, but just confessing them has power. Maybe also confessing them, sharing them with one another, those that you know and love. Making ourselves accountable to those that we trust within the body of Christ. Maybe, just maybe, as some of you could share those this morning, we're going to have prayer straight after. I've spoken for God to give you strength and hope and know that you have a very promising future with him. When we consider the wonder of the gospel, there's just so much to celebrate. And it's so exciting to be around people who found faith or rediscovered faith or something amazing's happened. We need to hear the good stuff and some of the struggles. Beloved children of God, we are set free and already healed because of what Jesus has done. Beloved children of God, know that we're already forgiven of our sins, past, present and future, but mustn't abuse that grace. Beloved children of God, this morning, God invites us to encounter him afresh with his transforming love. Those of you who've... um, done the Alpha course or been around it, may have heard some amazing stories. I've been doing Alpha courses for years and years and it's not just on Alpha that these happen but loads of good stories on Alpha. Last year I was doing the Bible in a Year which HTB do, Nicky Gumbel and his wife I think do the the readings every day. It was an interesting discipline. On uh, September the 14th, day 257, um, he shared this story. Four months ago, so that's a year and four months ago, Sam Morris, 23, was a militant atheist. He associated himself with the teachings of Richard Dawkins and other fervent opponents of faith and religion. One evening he went online and discovered that the Alpha course was about to start within easy access of his home, which brought him to uh, London, the HTB church. He turned up thinking... I'm going to take a few irrational Christians here. I'm going to take them down. But his encounter with the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ was not what he expected. On the questionnaire at the end, he wrote, I found the draw of Jesus irresistible and have gone from being someone with no faith to someone with an immense hope. To live in a state of non-truth to living in truth is, to me, the difference between being bound to complete freedom. Six weeks ago, one year and six weeks ago, he was baptized and he told Nicky Gumball, I'm free from my previous life. I was a slave to a lot of things I was a slave to society, a slave to my peers, but now I'm free to live my life. I'm excited to see what God has in store for me. How exciting. I so pray there'll be loads of those stories amongst us in Playgate. In Christ, we too are already free. In Christ, we too are already covered by God's grace. With God's help, how then should we live?